talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a then human being and, and many ways no but many paths to what you call god that and is her path crazy. might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it god along the way or not all of the world's religions are different stories they all base on the fact that somewhere there's something higher up that we don't necessarily understand. But I don't think you necessarily need to be religious to think there's something that we don't understand. You know, there just is, because there has to be. Hello to you if you're watching this at the Oasis site, the Shoreham site, Hove site, Clarendon Centre or are watching this online. Thank you for joining us as we are in the second half now of our virtual Jesus series. We've been asking questions of, well, I guess people online and in our city as well, what they think of Jesus and who he is to them. I read a quotation this week from a lamenting church pastor in London. He said this, there are many people who do not believe that God exists, nor do they think that the human soul lives on after the death of the body. They consider the universe has always been as it is now and is ruled by chance rather than providence. That really constitutes a, a secular worldview, one that is very common in the society we live in today. And so maybe that might even be what you think or friends or family members that you know would have that outlook on life. It's unremarkable, really. The only thing remarkable about that quotation is that it comes from 1200 AD. And actually, it was very difficult to be an atheist in the Middle Ages, but that is a point for another day. But people have always wrestled with big questions about life. And as I say, that secular worldview is very common. We encounter it every day if we don't hold it ourselves. But there's a question that I would like to ask of that worldview, and it's this. Does life have meaning? That's a question we're going to be wrestling with in our time together today. Does life have meaning? Because you heard in that quotation just then, and the key point of a secular worldview is that life and the universe is not governed by God and his divine hand. It's just random. It's governed, if it's, we can call it that, by pure chance. But therefore, I ask the question, does life have meaning? Because if you're staying true to that worldview, you, you can actually answer that question and say, yes, life does have meaning because a random universe has no meaning. It's, it's, just, it's just random. And if someone was honest enough to admit that there is no real meaning in life because life is just random, I would ask them, how does that play out in your life? Because what we have today is many people who would say that the universe, life is just random, but it's actually very, very difficult to live according to that truth. No one wants to live a life without any sense of meaning or purpose. Actually, when anyone gets to the stage of thinking that their life has no point, that usually 
brings them to a very dark and difficult place and not somewhere that anyone wants to be. But that secular outlook on life doesn't provide a good answer to that question, does life have meaning? But what people do is really just invent a meaning, which is a fun thing to do. You can say anything, well, life is just what you make of it. You know, life is just about, well, we're all here just to be nice to one another and have a good time. And we tell one another things like, well, live according to your own truth and be true to yourselves. And they sound good and they enable us to live however we want, but they're not that robust. They're not grounded in anything. And they're a bit inconsistent with other views that secular people hold. And the reality is many people with a secular outlook on life do have nagging doubts about the emptiness of life. Maybe that's why you're here or watching this today. Maybe you've noticed how as the West has become more secular, it's also a society that seems more and more gripped by uncertainty and anxiety and depression. And maybe those two things are not a coincidence. Why am I saying all this? Well, I want to underline that the way in which we do life, that meaning and purpose are, are really important. We can't really do life without them. Secondly, that the way in which many people around us are doing life really isn't that robust. No real robust sense of what meaning and purpose there is to life. But thirdly and most importantly, Jesus knows this about the human condition and about us, that we need meaning and purpose in our lives. And that is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Who Jesus is, is directly relevant to the heart of every human being. Let's listen to the passage that incl uh, includes these remarkable words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That passage that we've just heard is from John 14. So we're, we're deep into John's gospel. And the passage comes from a section that many people call the sort of farewell discourse. Jesus has begun to speak to his disciples about what's going to happen next. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. He's, he's talking about the ascension when he goes back into heaven. He's, he talks to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is the beginning of the church. And he's also, as we looked at last week, speaking about eternity and things to come. 
And it's in that context that he says to them, I am the way, the truth and the life. Now, we're actually going to spend a bit more time next week looking at I am the truth. And so the aspects of the way and the life is what we're going to focus on in this message. As you've just heard, he's speaking about eternity as well as life now. He talks about my father's house, talking about a heavenly dwelling for his disciples. But since I talked about the eternal aspect of what Jesus is saying a bit last week when I spoke about I am the door, I'm not going to focus on that bit either. But it is worth underlining that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, he is making an exclusive claim. Virtual Jesus in this series that we've been talking about, one idea is that is in people's minds when they think about Jesus is, well, Jesus is just one spiritual option amongst many. But when we actually look at the words of Jesus, we see that he doesn't really fit into that way of thinking. It's like going into a restaurant and the waiter says to you, would you like the chicken? Would you like the fish? Would you like the veggie option? Or your mum's on the phone. You could say that's an option that is presented, but it's a completely different category. The first three options there are about your preferences, what you think is the right way to go. The fourth option is there's someone that wants to speak to you. (laughs) It's a completely different category of thing. It's a personal thing. And when you speak to them, they're setting the agenda. And that's kind of like what it is with Jesus. He doesn't fit into the category of being a spiritual path to enlightenment. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm not just an option. I'm not just our way. I'm the way. I'm not just here to point you along a spiritual path. He said, I am the path. That's the language that Jesus uses. Jesus isn't just a way. He's the way. Jesus doesn't point you to a path. He is the path. That that sounds good. It's nice for a preacher to be able to say that. But what does it actually mean? Let's get into it. I've wrestled with this passage this week because actually I think it's a teaching of Jesus that particularly for 21st century Western Christians, it's actually quite difficult to grasp because we think about faith in Jesus in a little bit of a different way to the way that Jesus's original hearers would have heard these words. You see, We tend to think and focus on belief in Jesus in terms of our intellectual understanding. For example, if if you're a Christian and I asked you, how do you know you're a Christian? You would probably answer and say, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Or I believe that Jesus rose again. And of course, that's right. That's part of it. That's true. But we probably overemphasized the intellectual understanding of faith. And actually the Bible's view is much more holistic. The Western mind is shaped quite a lot actually by Greek philosophy that separates out mind and body. Western people tend to think of themselves essentially as minds traveling around in a body. (laughs) The body's like the casing. And Socrates and Plato, they were people that said the mind and the body are different substances. And really what's most important is the mind. And that has shaped Western thinking since then. And that's not helpful. It's actually not a Christian worldview at all. And the Christian, the Bible talks about 
life and people, the mind and the body and the spirit are all interconnected. There's a more holistic view of people and therefore a more holistic view of faith. And in fact, I don't know if you know this, in the New Testament, when it talks about the early church, before they are called Christians, they are, the, the followers of Jesus are called followers of the way. I don't know what that brings to mind when you hear that. Followers of the way. It speaks of to know Jesus is, yes, to know things about him and believe things about him, but it's a faith that encompasses every aspect of life. It's a way of doing life. My decisions, my behaviours, my words, my thoughts, the way of Jesus affects every part of me. And that's what it is to be a Christian. Western 21st century Christians like me and you perhaps, we tend to compartmentalise. Well, my spiritual life is just one aspect of my life and I have different aspects. We're missing something fundamental where Jesus says, I am the way. He's talking about something much bigger. Let's get into it. Let me remind you, Jesus here is speaking to his closest disciples. You have to imagine that Jesus, it's like he's got them huddled together. And I've introduced this question, what is life about? Is there meaning in life? Well, Jesus is gathering his disciples together and he's speaking to them about what life is about. Gather round, I'll tell you, says Jesus. And he starts graciously and wonderfully where many of us find ourselves. Verse one, you've heard it read there. Let not your hearts be troubled. He wants to reassure them in all the cares of life. And we, just like anyone, are prone to be tossed back and forth with the cares of life. And Jesus says in other places, don't be anxious like the world is anxious because of what I bring to you. But he's speaking tenderly to his disciples. And what he's about to say is an antidote to the doubts and the fears that they, they have, just like me and you. What does he say? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Which at first is a bit confusing because we think, wait a minute, Jesus is God. So what is he saying here? Well, where he says believe in God, the sense of what he's saying is it's more like he's, he's taking something as a given. He said, it could be uh, described as, so you believe in God. Okay, you believe in God. That's a general thing. But specifically what I'm speaking to you about is a personal thing. Believe in me. He's taking them from a generic sense of belief in God to what it's all about. Personal relationship with Jesus. And he continues in that vein, verse two and three, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go, I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking in intimate, personal terms. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. I will take you myself. That where I am, you will be also. He's speaking to my eternal thing. This is you need to see your life now in the light of eternity. Jesus is saying to his disciples and by extension to us, anyone who follows him, I know where you're going. Don't worry. I've, got, I've prepared a place for you. See your life now in the context of that. 
personal, reassuring, the loving words of Jesus. He's looking at his disciples as they're huddled around. He's looking them in the eyes. I'm preparing a place for you. And you know, verse 4, the way to where I'm going. And at this point, Thomas objects. Thomas is one of the disciples and you hear the anxiety in his voice. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? The way eternally, the, the way of life. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't know. Please, please tell us, help us. And it's in that context, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And again, he goes into the relational, personal connection language. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Again, Jesus compassionately saying to us, life is about knowing me and I've come to you so that you do know me. And as you know me, you know the Father and you're brought into the life of God. Aren't you glad for Thomas's in the Bible who, who come to Jesus with this type of question, who expresses our doubts and our fears. Because in the busyness and the tumult of life, sometimes we, just, we, lo we lose our way. What's, what's life about? And it, it is particularly the, the crisis moments in life. And we think, what, what, what's it all about? We get over, when we're overwhelmed and we're, we're stressed at work, or when we've been disappointed or, or hurt by a friend, or when we've really tried hard to do something and achieve something and we failed. Or we, we've, we've sat beside the bedside of a loved one who is ill or even at the end of life and we come to the end of it. What is life about? I believe it's in those contexts that these words of Jesus can speak. He looks us in the eye as well and says, you know me. You know me. You know what life is about because you know me fundamentally. What is life about? What's the point of life? What is the meaning? It's about knowing Jesus. It's, it's, that, it's about knowing Jesus. That's why he's come, that you might know him. I know life seems confusing, but Jesus is saying to Thomas, but you do know the way because you know me. You know what life's about. I am the way, the truth and the life. Whatever else happens in life, life is about, is about knowing me. That's the secret. That's the, that's the truth. And that's really what I've got to share to you today. Life fundamentally is about knowing Jesus. It's not about achieving it's not about wealth. It's not about relationships with other people. Fundamentally, life is about Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the, he, the life. It's him. It's knowing him. And this is what it means to receive Jesus as the, the way. That Jesus, he's not part of our lives. He's, he's the point of life. 
And again, that's a preacher's slogan, I suppose. But what does it mean? What does it actually look like fundamentally to live in that truth that Jesus is the way? The way to do life is just Jesus. I thought the best way to explain it really is just to explain it from my own life because I think Jesus has been helping me and teaching me and I've felt this recently, this priority of relationship with him above everything else. You know, I've, I've been raised as a Christian, had that privilege of that, but there have been different moments in my life that Jesus has brought me back to this truth. Because what happens, well, what happens in my life, I'm sure it does in your life, if you're a Christian or not, life just gets filled with stuff. <laughs> gets filled with whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's achieving things and uh, just the busyness of life. And it just takes over and it's full. And, and what happens and what's happened in my life is that just the doing of life becomes the priority. Just, just doing, just going from one thing to another, doing, 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 busy, busy, busy. And we can just lose. I know I have lost the priority of actually life is about Jesus and just knowing him. All these other things are secondary. But, but I get into the overwhelmness of everything and then at some point I come to the end of myself. I realise I'm living in my own strength. And Jesus has brought me back to this truth again, that life fundamentally is just about knowing him and living in relationship with him. And in those moments, what I found is that Jesus has asked more of me. That, that the discipleship journey that Jesus is taking me on is where he's wanting more. Now, he, not more of my effort, <laughs> not more achievement for him, not working harder in ministry. No, actually, what he wants to bring me into is more of a sense of priority of my personal relationship with him, of knowing him more deeply, of more of my heart given over to love for him and that he might love me and me live in the good of that more and more. More of my devotion, yes, in one sense, more of my time, but more time in his presence. That's the discipleship journey that, that Jesus leads us on, where we actually become more and more dependent on him, not less and less dependent, more and more dependent on him and more and more growing in the knowledge that life is about him. That's the way of Jesus to be dependent on him to have relationship with him as the center point of our lives. To recognize that, that my life is not about me. It's about him. It says in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a series of questions and answers about the Christian faith, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's be real here. Have we lost that call of Christian discipleship? 
Do you understand your life? I'm not my own. Jesus, he's died for me, he's risen again for me, he's won me to himself. I don't belong to, I don't set the agenda anymore. Life is not about me, it's not about my fame, it's not about my recognition, it's not my, my goals. I belong to Jesus. It's a radical way of Jesus that we're talking about here. Radical, personal devotion to Christ as Lord and Saviour. Can we say, as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life is about Jesus. Or are we trying to fit Jesus in alongside our agenda? What is your life? Has Jesus brought you to this place of recognizing it's about him? It's not about your goals. It's not about what you can achieve. You need to submit all that to him. He is the way, the truth, the life. This radical call I wrestled with in terms of preparing this message because I know what I'm describing here. Some of you probably are not not ready to hear this. You don't want to hear this. It's a, it's a radical thing. But I feel I have to tell you it because this is the words of Jesus. And you know what? This is, that, this is the twist of the whole virtual Jesus series. You ready? Because the virtual Jesus, the ideas of Jesus that maybe people out there have in their minds, that's not actually as important as the the virtual Jesus that we in the church have in our minds. And we are all prone to this. We are all prone to imagine a Jesus in our mind, a virtual Jesus who's not radical, who doesn't ask us to follow him in the ways of discipleship. You have a Jesus in your mind that doesn't stretch you, that doesn't challenge you, that doesn't take you out of your comfort zone, who allows you just to compartmentalize your life, who you pretend is okay with just that area of sin in your life, or just is cool that, you know, going along to church on a Sunday every so often is your spiritual bit, and that's fine. A Jesus who allows you to believe that just looking at the Bible every now and again is good spirituality. And maybe the function of Jesus in your life is, is just to bless your agenda. Please, God, Jesus, please bless my plans. Work this out for me. Solve my problems, please, Jesus. And really, your life is about your priorities and your agenda and your plans. And Jesus is just there to bless them. There's a virtual Jesus in your mind who is content to be second place or third place or fourth place in priority in your life, where the thing that really motivates you in life and the thing you care about most is something else, your career, your spouse, your kids. You've put them as the priority in your life. And Jesus is somewhere, that's a virtual Jesus. The real Jesus doesn't fit into part of your life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
life is about me. And if you've come to Jesus, you come into that realization, my life is now about him. And we're prone to have a smaller vision of Jesus than is the one revealed to us in scripture. I wanna believe in a Jesus that is safe, contained, who's just there to solve my problems, but that's not him. The real Jesus leads us out into the water. And that Jesus, he challenged me in the summer, caused me to reset my priorities again in my life that I need to begin each day with this radical prayer of Jesus, my life is yours. Jesus, life is about you. Jesus, today, help me to follow you. Use me as you will. And pray that every day. I reminded to myself, I don't belong to me anymore. I'm here to follow the way of Jesus. You know, I, as I mentioned, grew up a Christian. And I guess at first I thought that spending time in prayer and reading your Bible is something that Christians ought to do in life. And then as I got older, I thought, well, actually praying and reading your Bible, it helps you in life. So it's a good thing to do because it helps you do life better. And now I realize prayer and Bible, that is life. <laughs> because that's the way I meet Jesus. And that's the way I, I cultivate knowing him. Because life fundamentally is about knowing him and knowing him more and knowing his love more and having his truth wash over me every day. And Jesus brings me back to that place every so often because I lose my way and get busy with everything else and everything else comes out of whack. And he brings me back to this. So yeah, I read the Bible twice a day. I pray every day. I need to pray more. I try and fast once a week. Why? Because someone told me to. No, no, because Jesus brought me back to the truth. Life is fundamentally about just knowing him, knowing him better enjoying fellowship with him. Do I find it difficult to pray? Yeah, almost every day. But what has helped me the most is the realization that I'm made for a relationship with God. Nothing else in life is more important. Do I still struggle with sin and temptation? Yeah, every day. But again, what has helped me the most in my life is the realization that my life is not about me satisfying my desires. I've died to that when I came to Christ. I don't belong to me anymore. I'm an instrument in his hands. He sets the agenda. That's what's helped me. Do I find it easy to love and serve others? Not always. But what has helped me the most is the realization, that's why I'm here. That's why Jesus has me here on the earth now, rather than with him in eternity forever. 
because he wants me to demonstrate his love to others and live to love and serve. That's why, that's why Christians, that's what you're a witness in the world to the love and the power of Christ. And work and family and friends and hobbies and pastime, yeah, they're, they're important, but they're not that important. They're not. And the teaching of the Bible is that those aspects of life, they're actually just the context for outworking our relationship with Jesus. You know, that's what, that's what the Bible says. You know, love your wives what, as Christ loved the church. Serve your masters because you're serving the Lord. Do good to others as you're doing to me, says Jesus. Every aspect of life is supposed to flow out of knowing Jesus, fellowship with him, knowing his love, experiencing his grace. These are just contexts for living the way of Jesus. I know I'm talking about something that's radical here. As I'm saying this, probably half of you think I'm mad. Half of you think I'm being a bit over the top. Half of you think what I'm describing is not better than the life that you have now. I'm a math teacher and I know you could have three halves as if those categories overlap, don't worry about that. Well, all I can say is that as I've followed Jesus down this discipleship journey, he has demanded more of me because he loves me and he knows that what I need most of all is him and more of him in my life. And at first when he's prompted me and convicted me and challenged me, I've not always wanted to follow him. But when I have followed the way, followed the narrow path that Jesus talks about, trusted Jesus rather than trusted myself. You know what I found? I found the paradox of the gospel. That when you lose your life for his sake, you find it. When you give up on the selfish pursuit of pleasure in order to do his will, he leads you into blessing. When you give up convenience in a moment, and follow his ways, you get peace coming into your heart. You give up on your goals and you find that he, he raises you up. You realize that prioritizing relationship with Jesus, he gives you the freedom that our hearts crave all along. It's a peace that the world doesn't know. It's a joy of self-forgetfulness. It's the journey of faith. It's the way of Jesus. Are you going to follow him? I, I can't, I, all I can do is describe what it is. Maybe you don't know where to start. Well, start with this. Wake up each morning and pray for five minutes and give yourself to Jesus afresh each day and commit your day to him and do that every day for a month and then come back and tell me that your life has not changed. Chesterton said the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. He's the way. Jesus is the way. Why are you still trying to do life your way? Trust him. Come to him. Submit to him. 
He saved you from your sin into relationship with him. Your life is your relationship with him now. And it's a relationship that will satisfy you forever. Trust him today. Follow him today. He's the way and the truth and the life.